I can invite you to remain standing, please. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 23, through chapter 5, verse 2. Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. He announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread throughout Syria. People brought to him all those who had various kinds of diseases, those in pain, those possessed by demons, those with epilepsy, and those who were paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from the areas beyond the Jordan River. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain. He sat down, and his disciples came to him. He taught them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be here with you all today as we're gathered here together in worship with one another. Today we're going to be starting a new sermon series, as uh, Shanna mentioned in the children's time, that's going to take us through the months of fall as we're going to be looking at uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel of Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7. And so these chapters in Matthew have a name, you know, they're referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, and interestingly enough, I found a passage that said that uh, it was never given this name until a church father named Augustine of Hippo, uh, who first referred, he is the one who first referred to these passages as Sermon on the Mount. And so these words are some of the most well-known ones. If you think about the words of Jesus that you and I might know off the top of our head, some of the words from the Sermon on the Mount are some of the most well-known as well as if we think about in Christian culture, there are not in Christian culture, in the culture at large, there are some passages from the Sermon on the Mount that you know, have obviously gone out of the church and are part of the larger culture. And so before I begin and before I uh, continue, there are a few things I want to request of you as we study these passages of Scripture. First, I want to encourage you to go home at some point this next week and read the Sermon on the Mount for yourself. So read chapters 5 through 7, just sit down, and then throughout our sermon series, just take time to sit and be present with these passages of Scripture each week. As you read these Scriptures, I want you to remember that these are words that have been given to us by God because this is a sermon that Jesus himself preached. And so it's not Paul taking the account that he was given from Peter or from James or from one of the other first witnesses who was able to see and witness and watch and experience the ministry of Jesus. These are words that Jesus gave himself and that Christians have been reading for over 2,000 years together. Second, I want to invite you to be in prayer over these words. As we read them together and as we think about them together. I read this past week, and I can't give credit to credit where it's due because I forgot to write it down, um, but basically someone wrote that the Sermon on the Mount is a snapshot or an accurate, an accurate summary of the Gospel and New Testament on what it means to be a Christian. Hopefully, as we study these words together, you and I will be able to look at these passages of Scripture and see that in Jesus' words, we see a very focused... Um, pinpoint of what we're supposed to be reading and of how we're supposed to be living as Christians together. Third, and, and Shanna touched on this, but the Sermon on the Mount's written for you and for me. And so these are words that, that uh, Jesus um, meant for, for his followers to receive, and so we can't just chalk them up as outdated. 
We can't chalk them up as being irrelevant for our culture today or for where we're at today. These are words that that were written for us and were preached for us in the same way that that first generation or first batch of disciples heard them. In addition to them being words for for, um, our day today as a whole, they're also words written for you and I as the Christian community. This means that when Jesus gathered people around him, wherever he was, you know, here we have him sitting on a rock and he's preaching and the people are standing around him. Jesus is preaching these words for believers. And so that's a little different if you think about it compared to some of the other words that we read in the scriptures. Some of the other words that we read in the scriptures are intended for people who, um, who were not believers. They're, they're words that, that are help to, helping to, to see people read the scripture and, and to come to have a belief in Jesus. But these words are included but the, of, of Jesus sitting down and gathering the disciples around him and gathering others who were followers of him, who are pursuing him, and he is preaching to them saying, if you're wanting to be a part of the Christian community, let me tell you how to live. And so these aren't words for, for people to hear necessarily and go, oh man, I want to be a follower of Jesus. These are for those of us who have heard the call, who have answered and accepted the call, and who have decided to follow him. These are words for those of us who have wor- heard Jesus and who seek to, to receive his forgiveness and who now choose to live in his grace. Which that's a little different when you think about it. And I know that, that people can read the Sermon on the Mount and they can say, you know, it can help them connect with Jesus and, and choose to follow him. But I think what we have to remember too is that Jesus is preaching these words to people who have already chosen to follow him. And he's saying, here's how you need to live now that you've chosen to follow me. Or the last request I have is just for prayers and grace. Uh, there are well-known passages in this scripture that deal with human experience and things that have happened, deal with individual decisions. And at times, they may be a little emotional. But here's the thing is, I don't think we can pick and choose through the Sermon on the Mount and say, this is comfortable for me to read and preach about, and so I'm going to share it. And this is comfortable for me to read and hear about, and so I'm going to read these passages of Scripture. I kind of feel like if we're going to read the Sermon on the Mount, we need to start with chapter 5, verse 1, and we need to end with chapter 7, whatever verse number it is, I don't remember. Because it's easy for us to pick and choose Scripture and read the things that, that make us feel good or that challenge us, but in a comfortable way, as opposed to challenge us in a way that it's really Jesus saying to us, hey, you need to live differently. Does that make sense? So I thought we'd begin this morning by talking a little bit about John Wesley. He was one of the founders of the Methodist movement in England and then later in the United States. John Wesley was an Anglican preacher who believed that reform needed to happen within the church. And so he was an Anglican preacher from the beginning of his ministry all the way till the end of his ministry, even as he went and as he preached and as he taught and as he um, gathered groups together who became known as Methodists. John Wesley wanted revitalization. He believed that the Sermon on the Mount was one of those things that uh, would provide and offer revitalization. So John Wesley said this about the Sermon on the Mount. He wrote, it is the epitome of God's laws and promises for Christian believers. The Sermon on the Mount is the epitome of God's laws and promises for Christian believers. So what he is saying 
is that it's the highest thing that we can read and receive from the words of Jesus Christ himself to be believers of him. Fortunately for us, John Wesley also believed in keeping copies of a vast majority of his sermons and teachings. He published many of them, and in fact, the earliest Methodist preachers were given copies of his sermons and told, basically, when in doubt, use these sermons and just re-preach them. Which apparently worked in the United States because the Methodist movement was one of the, the you know, fastest growing faiths or denominational movements in the United States and in our history. You know, it is said and has been said that part of the reason the United States was able to, to move westwardly so fast was because people could move into different areas and they knew that the Methodist preachers would be shortly be- there behind them to preach and to baptize, to do weddings and funerals and other things. All right, so Wesley wrote about the Sermon on the Mount, and he, uh, he used these texts to preach hundreds of times, but specifically, uh, there's a sermon series that he wrote. He titled it, Upon Our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, and there were 13 of them, and rather than giving them each a separate title, he just numbered them. So like today would be Sermon on the Mount number one, next Sunday number two, number three, and so on. In each sermon, he broke it down, and and he took topics and verses, and he preached on them, and he wanted people to listen to them independently, but he also wanted them to view them as as like a chapter. And so sermon number one was chapter one, two, three, and he wanted people to study them together so that they could have a consistent teaching on Matthew 5 through 7. Because it's that important, because these are the words of Jesus that you and I need to hear, and we need to receive, and we need to study them together. And so this morning, I want to set the stage a little bit for what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. Um, The first thing I have is I have a short video that I want to show you that it just is is filmed at the location of the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Mount of Beatitudes. It's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum um, in Israel. Uh, It's right in the center of where other things happen. As you can see on the map, it's the the red dot farthest to the north. Um, Right by it is Capernaum where Jesus uh, based his ministry. Uh, to the south of it is the Church of the Primacy of St. Peter, where it's said that you know, there is where Jesus told Peter he was going to be the rock on which he would build his church. And there are many other locations there where Jesus based his ministry. But there's this one place that tradition says um, is where he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. It's maintained by, by the Roman Catholic Church, and it's a place that you can go visit today. And so we're going to watch the video real quick. The longest discourse we hear from Jesus directly in the Bible is known as his Sermon on the Mount. The very similar Sermon on the Plain can be found in Luke's Gospel. In these teachings, Jesus articulates the central moral fabric of the Christian faith. Sitting atop the sloping Galilean hills between Capernaum and Gennesaret is the traditional site of the Sermon on the Mount. Just below the slope is a flat plain leading down toward the Sea of Galilee, leading many scholars to believe the teachings of Jesus in Matthew and Luke are the same, or that this was a central message he often taught in this area. The traditional site has been commemorated for more than 1,600 years. It sits just off to the right of the ancient Roman road passing toward the north from the Sea of Galilee 
with gorgeous views of the lake itself and its surrounding countryside. When Jesus spoke the Beatitudes or taught the Lord's Prayer, both found in the Sermon on the Mount, it would have seemed that nature itself was joining the chorus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Franciscans now maintain the grounds as a place of worship, reflection, and unparalleled beauty, allowing believers from all over the world to stand where Jesus stood and contemplate his central message and how relevant and essential it remains two millennia later. All right, so if you've ever been to Israel or if you go to Israel, this is definitely a site you would visit if you're doing a, a Bible Lands tour or the Ministry of Jesus tour. Uh, it's almost too beautiful in terms of how it overlooks the Sea of Galilee and there are many natural um, amphitheaters in this place that uh, his biblical scholars believe this very likely could be the place or right around this area where Jesus could have gathered on a taller place and then had kind of a natural place where people could have assembled around him in order to listen and to see and to hear him easily uh, with the crowds gathering. And so the setting of this story, if, and we need to look at it, is, is the Sermon on the Mount comes very early in Jesus' ministry. If you think about it, he has uh, been born, of course, and then he's gone to Egypt with his parents. The, the Magi have visited. Um, he has, has gone and been baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River. Jesus has gone then into the wilderness where he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. There he was tempted by the devil, and three times he was able to resist temptation and place his faith and his trust in God. Afterwards, Jesus has learned that, that John the Baptist has been arrested and he has left Nazareth and he has gone to Capernaum where he bases his ministry and there Jesus began to teach and as he did so, he began to call each of his disciples. So if you read earlier in Matthew chapter 4, it tells us of Jesus calling uh, James and John, Peter and Andrew and others as they left their father's fishing boats, as they left their nets, as they left whatever they were doing, and they began to follow him. And then in chapter 4, it tells us at the end that as he preaches and teaches, Matthew writes, Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. He announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people news about him spread throughout Syria people brought to him all those who had various kinds of diseases those in pain those possessed by demons those with epilepsy and those who were paralyzed and he healed them large crowds followed him from Galilee the Decapolis Jerusalem Judea and from areas beyond the Jordan River so I think as Jesus's ministry is spread I think it's important for us to notice a few things the first thing that Matthew stresses and that Matthew wants us to see is that the first thing Jesus did was preached and he taught. I think it's easy for us to read these passages of Scripture and for us to assume or to overlook the fact that the first thing Jesus was doing was preaching and teaching. That people were hearing his words and they were experiencing what he was saying. And that's what was causing them to have a change of heart in their life. It wasn't necessarily because he was performing the miracles. The miracles obviously contributed to that. But Matthew wants us to see and to remember and to connect with the fact that the first thing Jesus did was preach and teach. 
It says, first he goes into the synagogues, and then he went out and taught in other places. But people were coming to him because of the message that they were hearing and from the way that it was touching and affecting their lives, which is very much the same way that you and I come to Jesus. It's because we hear the Word of God, we read the Word of God, it connects with us, the Holy Spirit works in and through our hearts, and our lives are transformed and changed. It's that change that causes us to want to pursue Jesus at a deeper level and in a greater way, in the same way that his first followers heard his message, heard his teachings, and in that they chose to pursue Jesus in the same way that you and I do. Friends, I think it's important for us to see that they weren't choosing to follow Jesus because of the miracles and the healings that he's performing. Because if they were choosing to follow Jesus because of that, then, then that would um, lend us to, to think that people were just following him because of the, the abnormal or the, the supernatural things that he was doing. That they were following him because they wanted to see the next person that he healed or, or the next thing that he was going to do. And we know that that's not the case. They were choosing to follow Jesus because of the message. Because of the transform that it led to in their hearts and in their minds from the way that that his words changed their lives. And so it was the work of Jesus coupled with the Holy Spirit that was changing the lives of those that heard. And so when it comes to our faith, I think we can see that, that our faith can be based on the word of Jesus as well. That it has to be. That we can't base our relationship on the experience of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now the experience is good when we feel the presence of God, when we feel the working of the Holy Spirit, when we're able to see um, things that happen in the lives of others that we know is God at work. I mean, we certainly don't discount those things. But what I think we have to see and what I think we have to remember is that we don't have to base our faith on that. Because then all we're doing is we're trying to pursue that next feeling, that next experience. And then when it doesn't happen, where does that leave us? It leaves us questioning our faith. It leaves us wondering what has happened. It leaves us feeling like maybe we're inferior or we're inadequate or we're incapable of having God use us and work in and through us. And I think we all know that that's certainly not the case. Because if we pursue our faith and place our faith on the word of work of God coupled with the Holy Spirit, our lives will be changed as we study, as we read, as we share in His Word, and as we worship together. There's one other thing that I think is important for us to think about as we read today's message in these scriptures. I think we need to notice the the scope of the effectiveness of the ministry of Jesus and the vast range that Matthew tells us of where uh, people were both hearing and coming from. Hey, Hannah, can you go back to that slide with the map, please? All right. Oh, yeah, that one. Sorry, that's perfect. Okay. Um, Okay, so Matthew's really intentional in telling us the scope of where people are coming in Jesus' ministry. 
I mean, if you look at the map, Matthew first says the Galilee, so that's the region, to the Sea of Galilee is at the top, and so it's to the left between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean. Then Matthew lists the Decapolis, which is uh, to the right of the Jordan River, as you'll see that mountain range, and it's written kind of like this on my right-hand side. Well, I guess it'd be your right-hand side, too, because we're both facing the same way. Um, but the Decapolis, we know, I mean, that's not necessarily, that's not a Jewish area. That's not a place that uh, in, in historic times was part of the land of Israel. And so this is Jesus being and connecting in ministry with people that, that weren't necessarily part of the Jewish faith. So remember that in a minute. Also, it says Jerusalem, which is at the southern part of our map there. At the bottom, I had to cut it off because it was too tall. But you could see Jerusalem right there. And then Judea is the region south of Jerusalem, we know, the southern part of Israel, which in the ancient times would have been the nation of Judea or Judah uh, when King Solomon died and the nation of Israel split into the northern kingdom and the kingdom of Judah. And then finally it says the areas beyond the Jordan River. And what that means is Perea, which is that region south of Decapolis to the right, of the Jordan River, which is the line that connects the Sea of Galilee with the Dead Sea. And so what Matthew is telling us, and he wants us to see, is that at the very beginning, the words of Jesus were not just for a specific people, but they were for all people. And friends, I think that's important, not necessarily as much for us, because we've been a part and we've benefited from teaching of the Christian faith and from uh, the way that the Christian community has reached out to all people for over 2,000 years. But I think it's important for us to see that at the very beginning, even Matthew saying, or Matthew showing us, that the ministry of Jesus was not just for those that were first Jewish, but the ministry of Jesus was for all. If Matthew did not intend for us to see that, he would have never included the Decapolis, he would have never included uh, the region to the right, Perea, um, in his gospel. We know that, that uh, part of the region to the right of the, of the Jordan River, had uh, there were Greek cities there, there were Hellenistic cities, and so uh, these would be places where other gods were worshipped, and we know that at times Jesus went and ministered all of those places as well. That's where he cast the, the demons into the swine, the pigs, I mean, he had to have been in a non-Jewish area to, to first for there to be pigs. And so we know that Jesus was, was out of, of that circle, out of the Jewish circle and in the larger community. And, and the important thing for us in knowing that is that Matthew wants us to see that, that Jesus came for all people, even at the, the beginning of his gospel. Because we can be comforted and we can be assured in knowing that, that Paul... When he stood before James and the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 and, and uh, rationalized and was able to say that, that I believe God has called me to, be, to carry the gospel to Gentile and Jew alike. Friends, these are the words I'm sure that Paul used. When Peter had the appearance in a dream that, uh, you know, that, that he was um, being called to, to minister to the Gentiles and, and God lowered an apron covered with, with, or a tablecloth covered with all different types of animals that, that both he was allowed to eat and then he was not allowed to eat as a Jewish man, as a faithful Jewish worshiper. 
And when God said, take, eat any animal on there, and Peter said, but Lord, you know I've kept the law since I was a child, and God basically said, you are to take, eat anything on there. You can know when, when Peter appeared back before James and the others there in Jerusalem, he also used this verse too, as they were able to effectively say, Jesus' ministry is not just for us in the Jewish community, but it's for all of us. Because God has thrown open the doors. And see, friends, I think that's the message that we have to remember as we, we begin this study together. Is that Peter, or not Peter, Jesus, is Jesus is preaching this message for us. People that, that have different backgrounds and different experiences and different things happening in their lives, but people who all share in the common bond and, and faith of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. I think that's the thing that we can remember is, as we study God's Word together. Because the Sermon on the Mount are, are words that, that Jesus intended for us. And they have just as much weight and just as much importance to our Christian community as they did to that very first Christian community. And I pray that these words can change our hearts as we know that there were those who heard them in the first hearing were the same ones that carried his gospel past the resurrection into the world. Would you pray with me today? God, as we're beginning this study together, we just ask for your blessing. We ask for you to open your, our eyes to your word through the power of your spirit. As we study and share together, we know that in these words, Jesus can and does change lives. And so we pray that that would be happen. We pray that it would happen in the name of your Son and through the power of your Holy Spirit as we give you thanks. Amen.